this morning I am I, I am excited and I know you will be excited when you recognize what is happening this morning we want to celebrate the seven last words of Jesus for years churches have been celebrating it on they call it Monday Thursday or Good Friday but we are celebrating it today on what we call Easter Sunday we are looking at the last words Jesus spoke before he gave up his life for you and I. And we want to look at it. We want to examine each word. What is the concept? What is the ideology? What is the motivation? What was it that Jesus felt? And what could possibly be thoughts towards you and I would have been born so many years later and those who are still to be born? In, 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 the, in the midst of every word, of every phrase, of every statement that he made, it is riddled with truth. It is riddled with compassion. It is riddled with something. And this morning, we have seven persons who want to share with you what they sense God was saying. What did they sense that Jesus was saying while he was on that cross. And so this morning, we want to welcome our, our, our presenters this morning. I know they, they, they worked hard to share with you. I know they worked hard to, 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 to sit before the Lord, to hear what he had to say to them so that they can share with you. And so I ask you this morning to sit back, grab your paper and pen. Truths are going to fly out this morning on the screen. Truth, truth upon truth. For some, it may be their first time, but they sat with the Lord to hear so that they can speak. For some, they may be a little bit more seasoned, but even then, they still had to sit, to hear, to speak. So as we just pray, Lord, I just pray over every presenter this morning. We pray over Ruth, we pray over Tamar, over Laverne, over Anne, Rifa, Karen, Olive. We present them to you this morning, Father. And we thank you, Father, that you have downloaded in them that which you desire for us, your people, your children to hear. So God, I present them into your hands. But I thank you, Lord, that they hope open their mouths. Will speak. So come, Holy Spirit, give courage where persons are fearful. Give, give that strength where persons may feel weak. And so, Father, we just give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. So the seven last words of Jesus, our first speaker this morning is and she will be speaking on forgiveness. Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Good morning. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. A warm welcome to you all. And I have a special guest here, right here on my phone. And I really have to highlight her because you have been praying for her. Her name is Annette, all the way from Toronto. She's not on Zoom, but she's listening. Annette, we are happy to have you right there in the hospital. God is here. Okay, the first seven words. I am the first one to be sharing, and we have a time limit here. So I'll be doing it as quickly as possible. And unto Elohim, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you, Pastor. We welcome our pastor. We thank God for Pastor Ava Green. We honor her this morning and we say, God, 
to you belongs the glory. So for me in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, the first seven words that Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This was Jesus was praying. This was a prayer. Think of it. He's hanging there on the cross, battered, bruised, broken, with outstretched arm. And yet he had AJ, Rifa, Karen, Annette, Ruth, Donald, all of you, I can't see all of you, on his mind. He said to his daddy, father, father speaks of, he had a relationship with him. He, he, had, he trusted God. Jesus was making a request to his father. He was addressing his father. And this to me speaks of compassion, love, and mercy. When he entered into his suffering, he prayed. He was praying. Jesus is constantly praying. He prayed before he went into ministry for 40 days. He prayed when he was selecting his disciples. When he was on that cross, he was not thinking about himself. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about you and I. And when we are at a place of sorrow, rejection, persecution, crucifixion, do you pray? Sometimes we forget that. I could be like the Peter. I would maybe cut the ears because I would have been in pain. I would have been saying, God, take this away. When people inflict us with all different kinds of things, we don't readily forgive. Because my first thing I say is, God, contend with those that contend with me. But Jesus, after he was bruised, battered by everyone on that cross, he was saying, Father, forgive them. As he hung on that cross, his arms outstretched, he could not heal at that time. He could not bless the children. He could not walk up and down in Galilee. He was on a cross, my brothers and sisters. So my point to you this morning is no matter what you're going through, no matter how things look, look at the cross, look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. It's not about you. It's you to forgive because when you forgive, it releases you of the pain. So Jesus was praying. Jesus was petitioning because he asked God to forgive Judas, the one that kissed him on his cheek. He asked God to forgive the soldiers. He asked God to forgive Pilate, the chief priests, the scribes, the money chasers that were in the temple, the gamblers. And he was praying for his enemies. He was praying for you and I. He went on that cross for you and I. And that's what he was saying. Jesus had to be on the cross. I'm rushing because I don't have much time, but I'm passionate about what he did. I am grateful for what he did. He had to fulfill prophecy. As it says in Isaiah 53 verse 12, he made intercession for his transgressors. That is what he was doing when he said, Father, forgive them. He was interceding. He was practicing what he had preached in Matthew 5 and verse 44. Love your enemies, my brothers and sisters. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who hate you. It's not about revenge. It's about forgiveness. He prayed to the Father and he put us all, all of us were on his mind, not just the, the centurions, not just Pilate. And without any shame, this was intimacy for us. 
Jesus Christ loved us so much, yet he was God, but he was all man at the time. He was carrying the burden. He was carrying the pain. How difficult it is for him to utter the words from out of his diaphragm because he bled. They, they licked him with 40 lashes. So I know it could have been, it must have been excruciating, debilitating. He was agonizing. And he asked his father, he was praying. And then he petitioned for us. And guess what? God answered. And that is why we have salvation. God answered his request. And God has given us salvation. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him. And that is what Jesus Christ was doing on the cross. Forgiveness is unconditional. There is no attachment. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't bargain for it. It's not based on promises. It's, it's never to do it again. It's God unmerited favor. Let me say it again. It's God unmerited favor. You offer forgiveness to someone whether or not they ask for it. Whenever someone has wronged you, persecute you, do all manner of evil about to you, look to the cross. Look to the cross because in Jesus' agony, he forgave. He sacrificed. He died to save the past, the present, and the future on our future sin. Jesus advocates on our behalf. His love, his mercy, his death on the cross. That's what Jesus did. We are forgiven. We are free. Say it with me. We are forgiven. We are free. We are made whole. And I'm coming to an end because I only have five minutes. But forgiveness is given. Forgiveness, unforgiveness weighs you down. Unforgiveness burdens you. Unforgiveness takes you. It opens the door to the enemy. But forgiveness is costly. And Jesus paid the price for us on Calvary. Always take a posture of forgiveness as I come to a close. Forgiveness is death. And listen to this carefully. Write this one down. Forgiveness is death that will lead to resurrection and everlasting joy. And that is what Jesus did for us. He died so we might live. He was born so, we so he, he, he would die. And my brothers and sisters, let us praise him. Let us give him thanks because he said his first words to his daddy is, Father, forgive us all for we know not what we do. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. Pastor, over to you. Thank you.
The next person we will be hearing from is Tamar. She'll be sharing on salvation. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Good morning, everyone. We're going to be looking at Luke 23, verse 43, and it says, And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's take a minute and look at the scripture. <clears throat> Think about Jesus. Let's Put a little background to the story. Jesus was a young man, 30 years old, the son of God. He's 30 years old, 33 years old, sorry. He'd been in ministry for some three years, going about his father's business. After about three years, three glorious years, where he'd healed, he'd comforted, he'd taught, he'd convicted, he'd performed miracles. He's now at the end of his life and his ministry. And up immediately before this point, <clears throat> or sometime before this point, he'd undergone or experienced an unfair and an unjust trial. He was unfairly and unjustly sentenced to die and nailed to a cross between two criminals. Now, as he waits for his certain but his unjust fate, he's been taunted by the crowd and his fellow criminals, or at least one fellow criminal, who said, now, if you're really the Messiah, prove it by saving yourself and us too. Now, take a minute to think about this. What would you do in this situation? How would you react? What would you say? Would you curse this criminal to the fires of hell? Would you ignore them? Would you be indifferent to them? Would you say, well, I can see how you ended up at, ended up at this point? Or would you forgive them? Would you forgive their, in, their ignorance, their cruelty? Well, Jesus didn't reply. I like to think he didn't have an opportunity to reply, but that's just my opinion. Because he was defended by the other criminal, the criminal on the other side who chastised and chastened his fellow criminals saying, have you no fear of God? Have you no fear of God? In that moment, he's acknowledging what the crowd the hostile crowd had refused to. They said, we don't want him. He's calling himself the king of the Jews. You know, he's, he's, no, he's no king. He's not the Messiah. This man is acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. And he does something remarkable. At the point of death, you think, oh, he's, he's dying. He's about to die. They're, on, you know, they're already nailed up. So their suffering has started. He says, he asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Now, on Jesus's side, you imagine he's in intense, you know, his situation is bad. It's bad. He's on the cross. He's unfairly tried, unjustly convicted. He's in pain. He's suffering. He might have felt that God had left him all alone. And, you know, he's clearly, clearly feeling the weight of our sin. Jesus resp responds, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, let's take a minute, pause at this point, and take a look at 
1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. And the Christian Standard Bible says, For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and you are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and you suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. So this man had earned his punishment. He was a criminal. He was tried. He was convicted. He admitted himself, we're punished for the wrong that we've done. He didn't, he didn't have an expectation of mercy, but recognizing and admitting in that moment that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, he humbled himself to the point of repentance, and he displays faith. He's commended for his faith, in fact, and he displays a faith by asking, what does Jesus do? Jesus immediately, immediately responds to him. No thought. He didn't hesitate. He didn't think about it. He immediately responds and assures him that he would be with him in paradise. And he said today, so that was not a future promise. It was an immediate promise of salvation, an immediate, uh, immediate assurance of salvation. Now, Jesus' action in that moment also highlights the scripture in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, where it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us. He, he know, that man knew he didn't earn it. He had not earned it. He'd done nothing to deserve it. And Jesus, without a thought, dying, bestowed upon him this gift of salvation. You know, God, by sending Jesus to die for us, he made the first move. He sent his son to die for us. Romans 5 and 10 says, For while we were God's enemies, we were, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, have you accepted? Have we accepted? Have you accepted that salvation? Have you accepted that freedom that Jesus' death allows? Are you living in the freedom of that salvation? Are you living in the purpose for which you were created? Are we, or have we decided that our way is the best way that we know better than God? Something to think about. Jesus' action also to, towards that criminal also demonstrates his faithfulness to the end. He was on the cross waiting to die. It would be reasonable to think that he didn't need to do anything else. He'd had 30 years before, 33 years now. He'd, gone in, he'd, he'd been ministering for 33 years. He was about to die. He didn't need to do anything else. His work was done. But no, instead, here he is proving his faithfulness, where in his final moments, he shows grace, he gave salvation, and he asked for forgiveness. So he's still here on his death, at his death, death ministering to those who did not deserve it and who certainly had earned their punishment. We can learn so much from Jesus' example here. Jesus, Jesus is in this moment showing us how to end, not only after saving us, he's showing us how to endure trying situations until victory comes. And we know that victory is assured because the scripture says, Thanks be to God who gives us victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. We also learn not to lose perspective, not to shift our focus, but to remember that others are looking on and are learning from us. The scripture in Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your father in heaven. Let us, let us shine our light before men so that they can see our good works and give glory to our father in heaven. Thank you.
Our next speaker is Laverne and she will be speaking on relationship. Woman, here is your son. John 19, 26 to 27. Once again, good afternoon, everyone. The audience on MixLR and who are participating and worshiping with us on Zoom, welcome again. Thank you. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, use me, Father God, this Resurrection Sunday to celebrate the goodness of God. How he ransomed his son Jesus for our sins. Jesus loves us so much that he paid the ultimate price for our sins, his life. John 19, verse 26 to 27. I'm not going to read the scripture, but I am going to refer, reference the utterance of Jesus in this scripture, in this passage, passages. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. And biblical times, you know, those were appropriate terminology to be used and when referring, when referencing, when Jesus made a reference to his mother, Mary and John. There terms, there were terms of endearment, you know, for that time period. Okay. So it was very much appropriate. It spoke about the relationship that he had with his mother and the relationship he had with John. I'm asking for your indulgence just to. Let me um, use this analogy about Jesus' time during the crucifixion, right? I want to talk about how God, you know, was making provisions for his death. It's almost like when you and I, you know, when people today would create their last will and testament, they want to make provisions for their loved ones, their children. Jesus, when he said, woman, behold thy son, right? He wanted to make sure that his mother was being taken care of after his death. And Behold thy mother. Um, it's almost, let me just bear with me. When you have your children, right? And you know, we know, we know death is imminent. We all are going to die at some point, right? But when you know or you go ahead and make provisions, right? Based on the relationship that you have with certain people, you give these children or your child godparents, right? So when the time comes, 
What is their responsibility? You are entrusting them that when you are gone, that they will be taking care of your children. Likewise, Jesus asked John to take care of Mary. I want to also take the liberty of saying, you know, that Jesus took on human characteristics. Um, he had, the, even though he had the ability to em empathize with Mary losing the son she bore while having the responsibility of being the savior of humanity. Um, this statement brings forward to Mary the promise of God that she would conceive the savior of mankind. Additionally, Jesus held John in such high esteem and regard that he chose him to take care of Mary. John was present there during the crucifixion. We know the story of what happened with Peter denying him and Judas selling him for 30 pieces of silver. Okay, the betrayal. John was there to the very end. He was at the foot of cross, at the cross also. And he was a believer. So um, John took Mary into his home and took care of her. I want to look at Isaiah. 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Hebrew meaning God is with us. So. He already, this is part of fulfilling its purpose and its role, okay, in mankind. Let's look at Luke, verse 1, Luke 1, sorry, verse 31. And behold, I thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, Jesus. These statements, right, clearly illustrate scripture being fulfilled of God's promise and his promise of enduring love and salvation for us. We can bask in the wondrous glory of his presence in our lives. We can bask in it, my sisters and brothers. We can bask in it. In John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, he loved us. He gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. What more 
can we ask for? All it is that God is asking for is our hearts have a relationship, become intimate with him. So today, let's celebrate Resurrection Sunday, knowing that Jesus loved us so, so much before we ever loved him. He joined God the Father in lovingly thinking about us and his plan for us so that we can be reconciled in a right relationship with God. Almighty Father, we thank you. You are the risen savior, King Jesus. You are our risen savior. Thank you. Amen. Our next speaker is, will be speaking on abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46, verse 46. Good morning, people. Um, my name is Anne Blaine. My topic this morning is abandonment. And um, Matthew 27, verse 46 says, 
about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama, Bassiani, Bastiani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was Jesus's fourth utterance out of the seven word, last words. This recordance was in Matthew and Mark, and um, it's the only utterance that had a question. Previously, in the verse before, verse 45, it said that there was darkness over the land for three hours. From noon to three, there was darkness. And this for, was a foreshadow, was foreshadowed in Exodus 10, verse 21 to 23, where, you know, in the plagues at three, there, three days, there was no light. And it was a foreshadow of what was to come on Good Friday. The Bible has a lot of parallels like that, but let's picture it. Jesus was fully man. He was human. And in the middle of bearing our sins at, the, at three o'clock, he cried out, Eli, Eli, why have you forsaken me? This, some scholars believe that at this point, Jesus was truly experiencing um, separation because of his humanity. Some scholars believe that um, God had turned away his eyes because he cannot look at evil. In Habakkuk 1 verse 13, where, you know, the Lord is, it has, is, it has, is not able to look at evil. And at this point, all the sins of the world was upon Jesus. At this point, all our sins that we have now, we have then, the people of the world that have created then, was upon Jesus. And Jesus was experiencing serious separation. He was experiencing pain. He was experiencing abandonment. At this point, his disciples had abandoned him. The Holy, he was not experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. There was no ministering angel there. Yes, his mother was there, but all the other disciples were gone. And in this, he was not experiencing his, his father's presence. There was a void of his father's presence at this time. And so we, um, Jesus was experiencing extreme abandonment and aloneness. And out of this, it is, it is felt that Jesus was crying out. The sins that, that were committed then and to come were being cleansed at that point. In, um, in Isaiah 53, verse 4 to, to, to 5, it spoke, of, it spoke of the fact that we were, all our sins and our iniquity was upon Christ on the cross. In Timothy, it spoke of the ransom. Um, Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, it spoke of the ransom and the full force of God's punishment was upon Jesus at this time. And so he was picture after all that you have done this is god knows he knows what he came for but 
in his humanity, he felt all the pain. In his humanity, he felt what was, was, was we could not have done. We could not have, have bore the sins of what we have done. And so he stepped in at this time. And at this time, he was experiencing severe separation. Um, when you go back and look at the statement, God, why have you, why have you forsaken me? It's an oxymoron. How can God forsake his only son? How can Jesus know that, okay, this is what you came for. You are aware of the sins, the penalty of sin. Jesus was completely aware what, what, what he came for, the reason why he was here. And at that point in his humanity, the pain, the separation, everything, he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? There's another point of view where this crying out was actually a quoting of Psalm 22, verse 1, where Jesus, you, I believe that at this point, that Jesus was looking on and declaring at, at the psalm prophetically to say this today, this has been fulfilled. Today, this has been fulfilled prophetically. Yes, there is separation. Yes, I'm feeling abandoned. But as a result of me dying for your sins, there will be triumph. Jesus, in the pain of separation and abandonment in his humanity cried out he did not say father this at this point he saw god he did not he did not um even think that okay you know that i can't think of father no because he wasn't feeling the presence of god but he was feeling the pain the separation the the gulf that we had between sin and 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 between sin and God. Sin, sin separates us from God. And so, as we notice, as you go down in Psalm 22, verse 25 to 31, it speaks of vindication and triumph and suffering. So there, that is where I'm coming from with my point, saying that Jesus was prophetically declaring, yes, he felt abandoned, but he was prophetically declaring of what was to come, the triumph and, 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 and the hope of salvation, the hope to the nations. He was the hope to the nations. And I believe at this point, he was declaring it. Gems and lessons to be learned from Jesus's final word when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus did feel forsaken because there was no friends there. Yes, there, there was his mother, but he didn't call on to angels. There was no angels. There was no, no feeling of the Holy Spirit comforting him. There was no ministering angels to him. And at this point, Jesus were, was forsaken that we may never be forsaken. Joshua 1 verse 5 says that we will never be forsaken. Hebrews 13 verse 5 also says that we will not be forsaken. Jesus took forsakenness for you and um, 
No, you will never be forsaken. You will never be abandoned because he promised never to leave or forsake us. Secondly, that um, the message that I got out of this was the fact that sin separates us from God and sin causes you to feel abandoned, causing you to feel the gulf the cosmic between you and God. So there's an emptiness, there's an abandonment, there's an alonement, less. Sin leads to death and separation. Romans 6 verse 23 says this. Ask God to teach us to hate sin to the point that we will not feel separated from God. We, we will choose not to sin because we love him and because we want to stay in constant communion with him. Jesus did all of this for us. So we don't need to sin. It is not a necessity. It is a choice. Thirdly, that we need to learn that out of this word is that Jesus showed his love for us on the cross. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that you gave yourself and suffer the sins of the entire world? John 15 verse 13 says, greater love has no man than this, than he that laid down his life for his friends. We who spat in his face, who did all the evil, he considers friends. There is no greater love than the love of Jesus. There is no one else who can love you that way. There is no one, no comparison. And at this point in our lives, if you think that you can get love elsewhere and you keep on searching, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it will, not, it will never happen. It is not out there. Jesus is the only one that can love you the way you need to be loved. Yes, he will love you through people, but the way you need to be loved, it is in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus loves us unconditionally. And so we can stand in his love. He gave everything. He gave his life. It cost Jesus everything. Love cost him everything. Let us pray the prayer and ask Jesus to help us to understand, to be willing to understand the costliness of true and real love as he does. Love is something that is unconditional and that is the way that God loved us. Our faith is grounded on God's promise when we do not feel God's love, faith tells us no matter what it is, God loves us. No matter what situation you're in, God loves us. John 3, 16, he chose to give us his best. He chose to give us everything that he has, his only son. What are you willing to give for Jesus' love? Blessings. Amen. Amen. Amen.
speaker will be speaking, Rifa will be speaking on distressed. I thirst. John 19 verse 28. Good morning all. Good morning, good morning. I have a special good morning to you all. This morning, Resurrection Sunday, I want to speak on the fifth word that Jesus spoke in this distressful time of his life. He said, I thirst. I am thirsty in some illustrations. When Jesus said, I thirst, he was alluding to a prophecy in Psalms 22 and verse 15. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And the dust of death, as dust is in our everyday life, we know that death is imminent. Death is coming. It is almost here. And the second reason I believe that John included these words in his account of the crucifixion is to point to Jesus's humanity. Jesus ate and drank like we all do. I thirst. I thirst highlights his humanity, as I said, not his spirit being, not his omniscience, nor his omnipotence. His words, I am thirsty, suggested that he could not help himself. By now he raised Lazarus from the dead. He made the lame walk. He healed the sick. And now word had spread. Words spread around the community because they didn't have cell phones and, and, and telephones like we have now. I remember when we had the phones in, in, in our neighborhood, we'd go to the corner or a designated place to make a call to anywhere. So word of mouth was what they use. And we know, tell one person something, it gets all the way to the end of the, of the line 
distorted, although it might be, but word is going to get around. So Jesus, they heard that he had done miraculous works. He had done so much great things. So we know, I am convinced that he chose not to help himself. Because in Matthew 26 and verse 53, he could have prayed to his father and he would send 12 legions of angels to his aid. 12 legions. A legion in those days was a 6,000 Roman soldiers. So by um, calculation, 6,000 by 12, he could have sent 72,000 angels to rescue him if that was a part of the plan, but it was not. So Jesus subjected himself to the process and went through it for you and for me. But scripture had to be fulfilled. So he knew this. So he, his tormentors took a sponge, dipped it in wine vinegar, and placed it at his lips for him to drink, mocking him as they did so. The third reason, Jesus was human. He complained of thirst like people do when nearing death, from exhaustion, from dehydration, not to mention the brutal killing, the brutal beating and profuse bleeding he sustained and endured for our sake. Jesus used the metaphor drinking from the cup in Matthew 26 and verse 28. And he says, are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink? This was speaking to James and John. And again to Peter in John 18 and verse 11. I, am I not to drink the cup that the father has given me? Jesus knew he had to drink from the cup. He knew he had to suffer and die for our sins. He not only knew it, but he was willing to endure it so that words prophesied many years before, even before his birth and written in the Torah would come to pass. Jesus's word, I thirst, pointed not only to his willingness to drink the cup of suffering, sin and hate, but to drink it down to the dregs, to the very last drop. Given that he was nearing the end, and perhaps he was pointing to the fact that the cup was now empty, running out of steam, low on fuel, dehydrated, weak, hung, dying on the cross. My fourth reason for wondering why John mentioned this in, the, in these words, I thirst. In John 4, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. She asked, Jesus asked her to draw water from the well for him. And then he says, if you knew who I was speaking of himself, you would ask of me, Jesus. I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. In John 7, Jesus said to the multitudes in Jerusalem, 
let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink in verse 37. In these two passages, John 4 and John 7, as a backdrop, I believe John wanted us to understand Jesus's words from the cross, I thirst. Jesus, who was the source of living water, is now thirsty, dying on the cross. The source of life, of grace, of hope, of love, this living water is drying up. The spring is nearly dry. Can you imagine the suffering and the anguish in these words? I thirst. We can get up and get some water. In our jobs, we hear this all the time when people are dying. I am thirsty. And we move mountains knowing that they cannot even take but maybe a sip. Sometimes it's put it to the side of the mouth. Nobody to get up on that cross. And they put vinegar. No matter how thirsty you are, that is not a pleasant drink. Jesus also thirsts for us from a spiritual sense. He thirsts for the love of his father, who could no longer witness his son, who was made sin for our sake. He couldn't stand the look of sin. He thirsts for the love of salvation from humanity. He thirsts for the fulfillment of prophecy. The emphasis on Jesus's humanity was an expression of Jesus having finished the cup of suffering. And by this moving statement, I thirst, I am thirsty. The source of living water was drying up. Those are some of the experiences I believe John painstakingly captured for us. Jesus's words, I thirst, I am thirsty. His fifth statement from the cross reminds us that he suffered as a human being in order that he could identify with suffering and human needs such as thirst. Thank God we who drink from this fountain of life will never thirst again. Amen. He rose so we can have life. He lives, hallelujah. Eternal life is ours, free of charge. Do you want a drink? Come and drink. I bless you this morning. Come and drink, hallelujah. Amen, 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 amen. But I thirst for you, and I long to be in your presence, my soul will wait on
will be speaking on triumph Karen it is finished John 19 verse 30 amen good morning everybody John 19 30 reads when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and it is finished for me means that the debt has been paid in full everything that jesus came to accomplish was accomplished his mission was complete it is finished for me means that it is possible and Ruth earlier shared on forgiveness because it is finished it is possible for us to forgive others tamar shared on salvation because it is finished it is possible for us to be saved and share that it's possible for us to be reconciled to Jesus because he was forsaken. And so it's possible for us to experience unconditional eternal love because it is finished. And my focus this morning is it is finished. Because it is finished, it is possible to obey God's word. Specifically love, loving others. In her talk and shared from John 15, verse 13, which says, Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life. But if we go back to verse 12, verse 12 says, Love your brother as I have loved you. And we are able to love as Jesus loved because it is finished. First John 5, verse 3 reminds us that God commands us sorry god's commands to us are not burdensome because everyone born of god has conquered the world and that what, what that is saying to me this morning is that because it is finished we have conquered the world and because we have conquered the world we are able to love the way he has commanded us to love so we can love who we consider to be unlovable we can love the person who hurts us. We can love the person who mistreats us. Because it is finished, we can love those who have even lied on us. We can love those who have stolen from us. Because it is finished, it is possible to love those who have abused us. To do otherwise, my brothers and sisters, is to fly in the face of Jesus' crucifixion. And it the, the fact is that we struggle with love because we're looking at our own strength. In Jesus' strength, in God's strength, we can love because he said it is finished. So I'm encouraging us this morning to stop making excuses that we're only human. Rifa shared when she, when she spoke earlier that Jesus said, I thirst. And saying I thirst spoke to his, his humanity. It spoke to the fact that he's, he was flesh and he was bones. It spoke to the fact that he experienced what we experience every day. But because it is finished, it is possible to love how God has commanded us to love, despite the fact that we're human. Matthew 5 verse 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. So, People who we consider our enemies, we are commanded to love them. Bless them that curse you. 
people who curse us for no apparent reason, sometimes you wonder what you do them. We are commanded to love them. Do good to them that hate you. Again, people hate you and you don't even know why they hate you. They may hate you because they're jealous or whatever the reason. But because it is finished, it is possible to love those that hate us. It continues, pray for them that despitefully use you. And we perhaps have all been in those situations where people use us and abuse us and, and, and mistreat us. But again, because it is finished, it is possible to pray for them and love them. Luke 6 verse 27 says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend without expecting to get anything back. And many of us, I'm sure perhaps all of us have had some experience or another where we lend to somebody and say, guess what, Maybe write them off, you know, I'm done, I'm done, I am done because I don't pay back when they borrow. And we, we have all the stories we can tell. And we're saying, no, 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 nobody, it's not possible for somebody to, to continue to lend to that person. No, it's not possible for somebody to lend to someone, to, to love somebody like them because, but guess what? It is possible because it is finished. Because Jesus' work on the cross was finished. It is possible. So Jesus declaring that it is finished has made it possible to love. And it is possible to love because it is finished. That is my encouragement to each and every one of you this morning, my brothers and sisters. Love because it is finished. God bless you. Standing shamefully in a courtroom, surrounded by demons on my left and angels on my right, Satan as the persecutor holding millions of records about my life and God, sitting on a throne with a mighty gavel in his hand. I had no lawyer. Placed on trial for things such as lying, stealing, and fornication, for this was the beginning of my tribulation, for there was no reason to plead an innocent statement. All the evidence was sitting right there with Satan. The demons smiled as tears rolled down the judge's eyes, for they clearly knew that now was the hour of my demise. But wait, in came a light shining so bright that the demons smiling suddenly jumped with fright. And the man that walked in that night was none other than Jesus Christ. Darkness departed to give way, and glory was all the angels could say. As the man that walked in that night pulled out a lighter and immediately set Satan's records against me on fire. He took the sentence file and erased my name, looked at me in the eyes and said, Daughter, I'll take the blame. Handcuffs were placed on this man and he was thrown to the ground. The entire courtroom gasped at the horrendous sound and the sudden seized the beat of his heart. The man that walked in glowing had now become dark. I did this to him. My lying, my stealing, my cheating. And he took the pain and spent three days in the hell that I was to go to for eternity. 
I left the courtroom that day and there was nothing I could say. I was found innocent for Christ handled the debt that I was to pay. This type of love is more than you could give to a girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife. This man died for me. I owe him my life. And even though my life is not at all worth it, how could you ever trade preference for perfect? See, I gave my life to Christ and suddenly picked up a mop. The lying, cursing, cheating, all that had to stop because my life had been bought. And it'd be a shame to sit there and do nothing but let it rot. I'm not perfect, and the will to sin hasn't completely diminished from my life. But I believe Jesus' words when he died for me on that cross. It is finished. Our final speaker for the day, Dr. James. She will be speaking on reunion and resurrection. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 42. 46, I'm sorry. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day to one and all. It is not only important to read or to hear the words that were spoken, but it is most important to discern what was being spoken in those words. We have to discern what was finished and why there is no more bondage. Mm -hmm. Let us pretend that we were there there was a unified crowd and they all cried crucify him he was the substitute for barabbas a well-known thief dwindling as to who have ever performed on a level like that and then on top of that bastards cheat <laughs> don't think you get oh, it oh no i, I know they they do i know they do Trust me, I know they do. So, uh, being in DC and, and being with Ruth, I seen her chambers quite often, more than I, I ever wanted to see any chambers. But they have um, they have a system where they type in certain codes and it comes up with these laws and regulations, or they type whatever they want to type, but like if they cure it and it, it finds it certain um, codes certain laws uh, i have it in my phone as well for new york state mm -hmm. uh, and i only have it because i'm assigned to new york state but i have it here somewhere i think i took it off but it's um penal codes mm -hmm. federal penal codes mm -hmm. city state all that mm -hmm. they do you I know would... where the penal codes are attached to right Dr. Oliver, I've muted you until you're ready. I am ready, but I could hear some other stuff going on. I could hear some conversations. Yeah, but we weren't sure where it's coming from. You can go ahead. I'm sorry. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day, everyone. And uh, 
It is important not only to read or to hear the words Jesus said, but also to discern what was said, what was finished, and why there is no more bondage. Let us pretend that we were there. We see a unified crowd. They all shouted, crucify him. We see him being the substitute for Barabbas, a well-known thief. We see him receiving Simon's help to carry the cross. We see him hoisted and we heard the mockery that was hurled at him. We see nature's response of darkness and earthquake. And we hear Jesus's words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, as is found in Luke 23, verse 46. We see all those things and we discern that on his mind was you and me. And if we could read his mind, maybe we would read the following words. Oh love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul on thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. The centurion discerned his humility and his tenacity. He also discerned the purpose for which those words were said. The people around were resigned to his fate. The Galilean Peter watched, but he was detached. Joseph of Arimathea thought of the necessity of securing the body. But Jesus said, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. What can we discern from those words? He was acknowledging that he came from God. He was acknowledging that his father's hands were outstretched, ready to meet him. He was telling us that the father was his ultimate caretaker. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Those words also embody the fact that his mission had been accomplished.
the work was complete. And from those words, we can also conclude that Jesus's confidence was in God. It was all over as far as mankind was concerned. But when we look at Luke 24, one through eight, we read the following words. Now upon the first day of the week, very clearly in early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again and they remembered his words. The women saw the release from bondage. They saw an open sepulcher, linen and a handkerchief that were no longer needed. They saw nobody. They saw two angels. And we're told in the scriptures that in the presence of two or more witnesses, every word shall be established. And we can imagine that on that day, the morning news read, body disappears from sealed tomb. We can also imagine Mary, John, the gardener having questions, giving answers, and they remembered his words. They remember that he had told them he would be delivered. They remembered he had told them he would be crucified. They remembered that he had told them he would be resurrected and also they could say it is finished based on the fact that the tomb was empty they too could say it is finished they noticed that the stone was rolled away the stone of guilt guilt of comparison that we are not good enough the stone of shame of the past the stone of fear of the future 
when we ask ourselves, what if? And Galatians 5 and verse 1 tells us, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where which Christ hath made you free. We have that option this morning. Christ has freed us. When he rose from the grave, he freed us. And he gave us promises. At the tomb, there was the discernment of revelation. Revelation that Jesus, no, it didn't need divine intervention at the tomb. At the tomb, they were freed from anxiety. Where was he? They asked, not knowing he was right there. And he said to them, go tell, go tell. In Matthew 28 and verse 19, we read, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In Mark 15 and verse 16, we read, Mark 16 and verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke 24 and 49, it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And in John 14, 1 through 3, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We have been given those promises. Those commandments were given after Jesus was resurrected. We have the freedom to discern those words and to do as he said, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. We also are free to remember his words, that we are to live holy, we are to share the gospel, we are to choose to obey him, and we are to commit our lives into his hand. Just like he said, Father, into thy hands 
I command my spirit. We too can do the same because we are risen to new life, new life in Christ. And we have the promise that makes us not ashamed. What does this resurrection day mean to us? We are no longer bound, but we are free, free to soar to the new heights that he has for us. God bless you.